Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Strength in the Numbers. Our guest mentor today, Nilia Sadies, is a leading finance and EPM thought leader and is currently working with the Hackett Group. And Nilia has over 30 plus years of experience researching, writing, and speaking about the role of finance functions and financial executives within global enterprises. Now, we had a really enjoyable chat with Nilia on a load of different topics. So we talk around the number of data points that came up during our conversation. And some key points from our episode together are three key trends Nilia is seeing from the data that finance needs to be aware of. Um, also, nearly offer some words of encouragement for those that might be scared of digital finance transformation changes. And also what world-class companies are doing to empower employees in the digital transformation stages. Now, Nilly's really passionate about the digital finance transformation. And she also spends a bit of time talking about the biggest gap that she's seeing right now between skills maturity and skills importance in finance. So very useful for not only finance executives to listen in, but also any talent within finance and accounting should be listening to this podcast. So if you want to go and check out the detailed show notes the timestamps, and also the resources and ways to connect with Nilly. you can go to our website sitnshow.com slash podcast slash 046 and i really enjoyed recording this one with Nilly, and i hope you do too so without further ado over to Nilly and the show so i've been working in the finance space for just about 30 years mind you i started very early um, fresh out of graduate school of journalism at Columbia, I was 19, which meant that when I first started working, I couldn't even go out and have drinks with my pals, um, <laughs> which was very, I remember when I was 21, everybody took me out to drinks uh, to celebrate, and it was a very momentous event. Um, I started my career in journalism. I actually thought I'd be writing for the New York Times, but my first job was was in a magazine that wrote about investment banking, and I was hooked after that. Um, I think wow. I have finance running in my blood. My dad is a banker. My mom is a CPA, <laughs> and I was just born with it, so I guess I just couldn't avoid it. So I started in journalism. I worked for a variety of publications, um, writing about corporate finance, writing about Brazilian bond issues, about about accounting, I was uh, following quite um, carefully the evolution of derivatives accounting on FAS 133, and I actually fell in love with it. I know that sounds pretty weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I, was a, I was a FAS 133 groupie and attended all the FASB meetings on the topic. Um, so that was one uh, part of my career. Um, after about uh, 10 years in journalism, I joined a company that's called the Noy Group. Um, they had a very unique business model that I helped develop. They ran peer groups for finance professionals um, in different areas, foreign exchange, investment, treasury. Those groups were part group therapy um, and part mass consulting, you might say, where the um, professionals got together in groups of 20 to 30 and talked about issues that were top of mind to them. 
And that was a transition from journalism to something else. I spent a year at Hedge Trackers, which is a derivative accounting, consulting, and software firm. And from there, I went to the Association for Financial Professionals, which is the largest member organization for financial professionals in the world. When I was there, I was first focused on treasury, but pretty quickly, my mandate was broadened, and I started working on financial planning and analysis and enterprise performance management and ended up heading the FP&A practice during my last two years there. And I'm very grateful for that experience because it really introduced me to a whole new area in finance that I really liked. And like other parts of finance at the time, was entering a period of critical transformation. Um, and I was able to be part of that. Ironically, during that time, it was uh, the time I got to know people at the Hackett Group, which is where I am right now. I used to interview the leader of the finance practice, Jim O'Connor. He now runs the advisory operations for North America. And one thing kind of led to another, uh, and Jim made me an offer I just couldn't refuse. And about a year and a half ago, uh, late 2016, I joined Hackett as the Senior Director of Research for Finance and EPM in the advisory practice. Um, for anyone who's not familiar with Hackett, it's not the biggest global management consulting firm, but it's one of the most well-respected. Um, one of the reasons is that we have something that no one else does. We have this treasure trove of benchmarking data. We have a benchmarking operation. Um, it collects thousands, literally thousands of metrics from clients across our four practices. We have um, human resources, IT, finance, EPM, and financial operations, and procurement. And we maintain this live database that we can use to run different analysis. One of the most important things we do is we cut this data and we identify world-class versus peer organizations per business services function. What we do is we have a proprietary set of value metrics that are both um, efficiency and effectiveness based. And world-class finance organizations basically are those at the upper end of the top quartile. We use those results then um, to benchmark for our clients. So a client can come in and figure out whether they uh, are top world-class or peer or where they rank compared to the two groups and therefore where they can improve down to the real sub-process level. The advisory practice us. We then help them identify what they need to do to improve their performance. The advisory practice is very much an IP-driven group, so research is a very big part of it. In research, I run additional studies, use it to leverage the advisor's extensive experience to help the client get from where they are to where they want to be. We work on a membership model, so members have varying degrees of access to IP and advisors' time. Um, Hackett also has a very thriving consulting group that does the on-the-ground implementation. And about two years ago, we launched the Hackett Institute, which offers analytics training. And that's um, very much because of the increased adoption of advanced analytics and the need for finance professionals 
to improve their analytical skills, the number one ask from the enterprise this year, which we found out in our key issue studies for 2018, is for finance to uh, provide management with better information and better analytics. And it's also the number one improvement that finance um, is planning for this year. So we created the institute to help finance deliver on that ask. That's interesting. Well, it's actually good and refreshing to hear that what the business wants, finance is planning to go out and deliver. So I, I'd love to, to, to go into that a bit more in a second. But in terms of, uh, you, you mentioned about the benchmarking data and so on. Like what's what's the, sort of the key trend that you're seeing in the in the numbers and the data and the benchmarks that uh, you know we really should be aware aware of in accounting and finance? It's a really good question. We see several things that are emerging as the characteristics, as you might say, of mm-hmm. uh, the world class organization. They have uh, responded to the digital transformation challenge by increasing the oper- the automation level of their processes. So world-class or, uh, organizations are more highly automated. And that automation improves their process quality and their process efficiency. So it's not just a cost play, but it's also an effectiveness play. And I have some um, mm. data I can share with you about that in a little bit. And also world-class organizations are much more in tune with their customer needs. They provide, they're much more customer-oriented to what we call customer centricity. They have better talent management programs. They develop talent to fit the needs of what the business needs are and change those talents in response to the changing needs of the business. So they're more agile. And I think it's very important to think about this world, um, this word agility in today's mm. uh, finance and accounting practices because um, as things change in the external environment and they're changing all the time um, and the velocity of change is increasing, finance needs to be able to leverage its talent, its processes, its technology to become more agile, to become more responsive to that rate of change. And world-class organizations are more agile. That's inter- actually what's really interesting about that um, conversation we've just been having around world class organizations nearly is how you started off on the digital automation, probably the machine robotic side of things, and then went more to the human side, which is customer centricity, meeting their needs, developing the talent to meet those needs. So it seems like the, the world class organizations seem to have the interplay between these more um, more appropriately defined and aligned. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's very fair to say. I think that in the 30 years that I've been in this business, I've never seen as much change happening as fast as we've seen Mm -hmm. in the last two to three years. Um, And maybe Mm -hmm. at the ultimate point, I mean, where all of this is leading is for finance to become more of a business partner to the business. For a while, there was a lot of talk about that, but there wasn't much, <laughs> wasn't a lot of action. Yeah. Um, yes. And I don't even think there was a clear definition of what it meant. Um, there wasn't much going on. Um, a few leading CFOs did get involved in the business, but overall, finance was quite isolated 
um, dealing only with financials, doing routine reporting manually, a lot of GL entries, cash application, reconciliation. In fact, if they even wanted to, accounting and financial professionals were so bogged down in grunt work, they really didn't have time to be strategic. Um, but digital transformation is really changing the equation on that. Um, in our uh, 2018 key issue study, there was nearly universal agreement that digital transformation will have a step change impact on finance performance and that it will, uh, we found, fundamentally impact the way finance delivers services to internal customers. Uh, this customer centricity concept that we're talking about. 95% of top performers in another study we just conducted on digital transformation said they'll have a it will have a critical impact on the organization and finance role. One more bit of data, um, and this is something I think is very interesting and quite unique. We have a proprietary model that calculates the digital opportunity for various business services functions. Okay. That sounds quite interesting. Yeah, this is interesting because what it does, and I can't go into the full details, but it's based on of course, this, yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's proprietary. But I can tell. Yeah, of course. But what it does is it leverages this extensive benchmarking database we're talking about. It takes it one step into analyzing what automation does to performance, both on efficiency and effectiveness metrics. Mm -hmm. And then it uses a factor to, uh, to estimate um, what is the opportunity if automation went further into complete digital transformation for both our peer and world-class companies? And what we found this year, the numbers are just in for 2018, is that peer groups have the potential to shave 35% of their finance oh process costs. That's a huge number. That's, um, that's and, phenomenal. Yeah, and world-class companies, which you know we know already operate at a great degree of efficiency um, and effectiveness, can reduce their costs by twenty percent. And that's unreal. Yeah, and that includes an additional five percent of investment in technology because really you can't do digital transformation without investment. <laughs> yeah. It does cost something, yeah. and that's an imperative. <laughs> do but companies do shy away from it because there's a cost to it but the cost it's, it's amazing isn't it yeah yeah exactly it's like it's like that's a 20 percent net improvement and that's on world-class already world-class operations right but but i just have to laugh a bit because in finance sometimes we're terrible at taking our own advice we find these opportunities to deliver a return right and we still <laughs> don't don't feel willing enough to, uh, to stump up the money <laughs> to pay for it all and uh, we're sort of shooting ourselves in the proverbial foot here so um so like is there any sort of um things we can hang our coat on pegs we can hang our coat on to sort of make finance a bit more willing to consider taking some baby steps into this sort of automation this digital, digital transformation piece so that we can see the benefits on the process side there are a couple of things one is in our study we saw there's a high roi you know finance loves numbers right we're finance people we <laughs> yeah. love numbers <laughs> We want to show things like ROI, um, build a very solid business case, because that gets us the investment from management. So we did find that companies that have completed um, a digital initiative did show 
a high return over the largest, the majority had a return of over 10%. So that's pretty Mm. good. And then we also found that um, one of the most important, so we talked about different technologies. Some of them are harder to justify than others, right? Because some of them, especially the ones that support knowledge-based processes like um, enterprise performance management, analytics, um, it's harder to make the link between the technology and the return because the return may be a better choice, a better decision that led to an investment that has a bigger return. So it's sort of three degrees of separation. Um, but in some technologies, the return is very clear, like robotics or products process automation or what we call RPA. Um, and we have big practice in that. Um, that helps companies build robots and make the case for them. And RPA is typically applied to processes where efficiency is the issue. So RPA, what it basically does is takes out a lot of inefficiencies where previously was manual work entering uh, data from one system into another or from a system into a website, um, automating things that used to be handled by people, of course, that's a scary, and we can talk about that, that's a scary thing and a a good thing. But it has a really clear return on investment because the process is faster, it's error-free, or almost error-free, and it's cheaper. So if you use, as a company, taking those baby steps, start with technologies that have a clearer and more measurable return on investment. Use those to build credibility um, and buy-in from management and the business leaders around you. Um, And those apply to core operational processes of the organization. So they're easy to justify and the returns are quite large. Um, Use those to buy credibility and then use that to justify or, or, or build support for that next project, for that next initiative. That's that's great advice. And and look, um, again, I encourage our audience. The returns are there, so you know, don't necessarily have to wait for management to go and and come up with these initiatives. We can come up with themselves. Start building the credibility, and then those three degrees of separation you mentioned, Lily, in terms of the bigger win- wins, it's probably more top line impacting. You know, once the credibility is there, there's a better chance of those succeeding. But but you did actually interestingly touch on a point about the scary nature of some of these changes for finance employees and. Like, you know, as much as you and me were probably quite optimistic about what digital means for the, our finance world and the transformation, there's some people maybe not um, as far along that journey. So, so you got any sort of words of encouragement to offer for, for those people? Absolutely. I think that I know it can be scary. So the implications for finance talent can be scary or can be exciting depending on, on who you are. Um, a lot of people will be threatened by the changes, and some will embrace them. Uh, Ultimately, there's no choice because this change is happening. (laughs) So that's kind of the bottom line. But the problem is that (laughs) um, one problem is that finance organizations are far from being prepared. We had a finance talent survey last year, and we found that only half of finance organizations have come up with a talent strategy for the digital age and less than half know what the new roles would look like or have the right talent in place. So, um, yes, some jobs will be eliminated, but uh, eventually new roles will be created as well. 
they will require different skills. So what I say is, and I've seen talent development programs that are very, at a high level, um, very developed. We're working with clients, and I'm doing a series of case studies with companies um, like Bosch um, and Maersk in Europe um, and HP in the U.S. that have developed very intricate, very com comprehensive talent development strategies. One of the common threads is that they really focus on giving the employees, empowering the employees to chart their own career path. They're offering the training. They're offering the support, the mentoring, the rotational programs. But they're telling their people, you are in charge of your own career. And I think it's critical now more than ever that people realize that things are not just going to happen to them, <laughs> right? They're going to have to Completely. take charge if they want to be successful, even if it's scary, even if it's intimidating. Look around and see what's available to develop your skills for what is going to be needed in the future. They need to own your career development and, and those future finance skills. The biggest gap we see right now between skills maturity in finance and skills importance in finance going forward is in data and technology savviness. Um, so that's one, where, one area where you should go. But <clears throat> not far behind is business partnering. Um, so it's important that finance professionals, as they go through their career development, develop both of those skills. By business partnering, we mean the ability to work with um, business leaders and business units to help them make decisions. So understanding the business, how it works, so you can give advice about improving performance within that business context. I have to say, um, I'm more excited about where we are today than I've ever been before. Um, and I know a lot of finance executives that feel the same way. I guess the ones who talk to me are not the ones who are intimidated by change, but the ones who want to leverage the change, yep. um, make their jobs more meaningful because they can have an impact on business decisions um, and contribute to strategy development through the utilization of digital tools. Uh, they provide more insight through better analytics. They provide better cost, competitive cost structure, make processes more efficient, and that also frees up their time to focus on more interesting work. Yeah, it's, it's like I sort of say, like, why not embrace it? You know, it just seems so much in, in terms of upside there. And like, that's that's just the time to find our, our, ourselves in. I mean, why why wouldn't we be excited? I, I have to say, my, my own journey, this is, you know, you were very clear about it's up to ourselves if we want to embrace it or not. You know, in fact, I don't really think there's a choice. I think we sort of have to. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, you're, you're right. This has never been a more exciting time. That's why in terms of the, the name of this show, Strengthen the Numbers, I just don't think we've ever been at a stronger time in finance's history to you know, deliver the right insights, uh, develop even better influence and build that up in the businesses and also contribute a massive impact to top and bottom line performance that we've not been able to do before, particularly if we touch those two areas you mentioned which is data and technology savviness and finance business partnering we improve those then i think uh, you know we'll start seeing the the value 
uh, being delivered not only in terms of to our businesses but also to our own careers so it's never been a better time for businesses or finance professionals to be involved in our work so um so really appreciate you going into that nearly and i want to be respectful of your time we could talk all day about sure. these fantastic insights i would love to but, talk uh, about it all day <laughs> i know i know but i know you've got a meeting coming up so i will i'll be respectful but um is there is there sort of any other areas that's currently exciting you about um your, your working in around finance and accounts so i think a couple of areas um advances in, te- in in terms of advances in technologies and what's coming um what's down the road for finance and i agree with you there's never been a better time i think to be in finance in terms of the influence and the value proposition for finance um we're looking at a couple of areas um in addition to rpa where there's a huge value proposition to be had uh one is artificial intelligence and the other one is uh erp in the cloud with artificial intelligence it develop is developing so quickly um and in such interesting ways it's actually the market is expected to grow by some estimates uh 42 times between uh 2016 and 2025 so it's a massive growth and i can envision a time where you can sit in front of your computer and i kind of talk about it in terms of interaction with the machine and um <laughs> oh this conversationalist role in finance where you would sit in front of your laptop um or screen and talk to the machine and say hey i'm trying to figure out the revenue trends um between 2014 2017 and compare them to these revenue trends and understand the difference and why there's a difference and what does it mean for our future and the ai the machine would just go back and do the analysis and not only come back and say well here's what it means but also say i think that this is what you should do about it so it's going to completely change the way we deal with technology and also increase the level of value the amount of value we can then have when we go to management as finance and accounting professionals and have that next conversation it's going to be a much better conversation um the other thing we see is greater adoption and interest in adoption of erp in the cloud we all know how painful it's been to implement ERP systems it's been taking years and millions of dollars for so many companies and primarily we see companies with a mishmash of systems multiple systems multiple instances of the same system so hard for these systems to talk to one another um mm-hmm. one way to get around that and this is for the core operational systems of the organization one way to get around that is go to the cloud um it's cheaper it's going to solve these issues of data that's in silos and dramatically improve the way the companies operate um and their performance so i think there's more to come definitely that and what a great position to be in <laughs> yeah we're already doing you know we've already got great opportunities now and into the future i mean come on what a place to have a great career so and add value to the business so look re- really appreciate those insights nelly Uh, sort of got a few quick fire questions for you uh given that you know you had a 30 plus year in finance and accounting <laughs> you know you must have had some really great advice along the way you know either inside work or outside uh, personally so like what's the best bit of advice you've ever received um 
the best advice I ever received and the hardest <laughs> advice I've, followed, I've had to follow is, because um, I've heard it from every boss I've had um, for the last 20 years, is to maintain some kind of a life-work balance. Um, I've been so passionate about my work, and I'm sure a lot of finance and accounting professionals are in a similar position, um, that it's been hard to have a life that is separate from my work. And for all of us, with the advent of digital technologies, work is just pervasive. It's with us all the time. I also, I work remotely. So work is around me in my home. So I've been trying to keep, to keep some kind of balance, but I have to say, <laughs> in 20 years, I still haven't been able to do this very well. Um, and my bosses are still on me for it. It's like the one negative thing I get in performance evaluation. Work less, which is kind of a strange thing to hear. Yeah, actually, I suppose that's one of the benefits. Like myself being, being based in, in the southwest of Ireland, we're fairly laid back here. So I sort of, I had the same now when I used to work in London and so on. And, you know, I, I regularly travel uh, sort of to the US as well. You sort of need that time to, to, to recharge. And it's great to come back here because I'm sort of forced to do it. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't um, be able. So so that, that, that's one tip. But I think it's great advice. So uh, so at least the intent's there anyway, nearly, right? Yep. Try. Yeah, so. I should try. So look, and um yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. Start. It's a good start. Anyway, having the attempt. So, look in terms of um, in terms of resources now, some of our listeners could follow up on. Um, is there sort of anything, any books or resor- other resources you could recommend that they go check out? Um, so there are a couple of books I really recommend. I think they're kind of a must read. At least I felt they were a must read. One um, quick, one, not quick one, but one quick recommendation um, is a book that I read twice. Um, it's called. Um, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. He's a behavioral economist. Um, And the other is uh, The Second Machine Age, Work, Progress, and Prosperity in a Time of Brilliant Technology by Andrew McAfee and Eric, and I'm going to butcher this last name, it's Scandinavian, Brian Yolfinson, just searched by Andrew Eric Mac, by uh, Andrew McAfee or the name of the book. Um, Thinking fast and slow is kind of a general behavioral econom- economics book, but it goes to the core of how we make decisions. And I think with the advent of an AI and, and digital technologies, we need to understand um, how humans are sometimes irrational and why we are, um, and why machines may do a better job. And the second machine age um, is probably the best book I've ever read about digital transformation. It's quite current, but yet it puts it in a broader historical context. And it talks about the impact on society and people, which I like because it acknowledges the potential dangers, but it also presents a very optimistic view of how it's going to shape our future as workers and employees, which I think, as we said, is a great concern to a lot of people. So, so true. I highly recommend people. I've not, I've not had read the second book, but I definitely will. But the first one, it's so important. I think particularly as it bridges that gap between data and technology savviness and business partnering and allows us to, to bring those forward because ultimately businesses want finance and accounting teams to help them make better decisions, drive better outcomes. So great resources. I really appreciate you recommending them, Lily. 
And in terms of in terms of you know our audience, if they want to reach out to you or follow up with you, where's the best place to find you at? Um, so there are a couple of um, resources that I think you're going to provide in the notes to the to the to your podcast. Um, several pieces that we have made public uh, through Hackett. Um, you can reach me on LinkedIn under my name, Neely Yasadis. I'd love to connect. Um, I write uh, at least three blogs a month, and they are all available. Um, additionally, you can just email me, and I'd love to talk at uh, Nesades, first initial N, Nesades at thehackettgroup.com. I love talking to practitioners um, and others who are passionate about this topic. If you have any questions about what I said, please let me know. Fantastic. Really appreciate you sharing those, Nelly. And again, I'm going to put the links to what we've discussed and also maybe some of the, the research you've done and, and kindly shared, Nelly. Absolutely. I'm put those yeah, as well in the show to. notes. So and um, and obviously I know the Hackett Group run various events to to help people in our industry and in our profession uh, do better for our organisations and get more out of our careers. So look, I will share those as well. Yes, we uh, do have. The, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we do sorry, have no, on, a conference coming up um, May uh, not May. Well, it starts April 30th, but through May 2nd, called the Best Practices Conference. Uh, it brings together about 300 uh, senior executives. Um, across business services function, there's a big finance representation and a really interesting finance track. One of the uh, keynote speakers is um, the HP Global Controller, and she's going to talk about exactly the issues we've been talking about, um, how digital, how they've used digital transformation to uh, transform the finance practice, the finance operation at HP. So we'll provide that Fantastic. link as well. I think there are more spots available at this point. Not too many, but there's some available to attend the conference. <laughs> of course, we'll, 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 we'll make that available in the show notes as well, Nelly. So, Nelly, look, thanks for being such a great guest and uh, you know, sharing your story from those uh, Brazilian bonds and uh, the FASB <laughs> derivative accounting all the way through to some fantastic insights that are so relevant uh, for us now to actually remain relevant and add value into the future of uh, accounting and finance. So, really, again, appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Happy to have done that. Really enjoyed our conversation as well. So, there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There, you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs, there's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.